This past week, we crossed a milestone in the Mims house in that we, hopefully, Lord willing, will never have to participate in the Iwana Pinewood Derby again. Sorry, Julie, it is what it is. A number of years ago, my brother-in-law and I spent a couple of hours building some cars. And by some miracle of God, we won. I've done the same thing to every car since then. They barely go down the track this year. I don't, I don't understand it. It's a physics lesson that has eluded me. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, but I was thinking about that even tonight because uh, tonight reminds me of kind of one of those nights where you look out and I was an RA. Royal, anybody, anybody, does anybody know what a royal ambassador is anymore, right? GAs, girls in action, right? I was a royal ambassador. A royal ambassador is kind of like a very light version of Cub Scouts if you've never been to it, you know. But we did a Pinewood Derby type thing. And we had a leader named Bill Monaghan and... Uh, once in a while, on a Wednesday night when we showed up for RAs, we would say, Mr. Bill, can we please go play wiffle ball? And our church had a family life center that was far away. It was miles away from the church. It wasn't at the same spot. And once in a while, we'd be able to convince him enough to get this old van that didn't have any seats in it from the church. And he'd load us all in. It's so sketchy. We'd all load up in this old van, and we'd hightail it across town, open the gym, play wiffle ball in the gym for, I mean, we only had about 20 minutes because then we had to hightail it back across town. You know, y'all want to go out to the playground and have church tonight? I mean, is that anybody? Anybody want to do that? I mean, it just, you know, sometimes you just, you feel like you, you just need to do that. I feel like if Bill Monaghan was here, we'd get it done. You know, we could convince him to do that. Uh, tonight, I want you to turn to uh, the book of Galatians in your Bibles. I've been thinking about this for a little while, kind of in light of the fact that we were talking about spiritual warfare recently, and this is not a, a message on spiritual warfare, but it really is a message that has to do with how spiritual warfare sometimes comes into our lives and what we know to be true and how we live it out according to the gospel. I don't know if you've noticed, but the gospel is a buzzword today in everything. I mean, everybody's, there's a gospel coalition, there's a group called Together for the Gospel, everybody's writing gospel this, gospel that. We, we do gospel engagements here. I mean, it's, it's a very kind of, uh, I guess, unique time in, in Christian history to be talking about the gospel all the time. It's on the front of people's brains. And the gospel simply means good news. The word was really stolen from everyday language in the Greek. The word just meant good news. You know, it didn't mean anything biblical when it was first introduced and used in that language. And what the early church did was appropriated it for their own purposes, right? Because they believed that they had a message and a story to tell and that the gospel was really important for people to understand because it was good news if you were lost. We were talking today, you guys didn't meet Cujo today, uh, Pastor Cujo was at the gathering at 840, but we had Pastor Solomon here. And I, I, I'm going to tell on Solomon. I, I was telling him uh, today about um, Hampton has been doing some archery uh, lessons uh, with one of the guys in the church, uh, builds long bows and these different kinds of things. And I was asking Cujo, I said, Have you ever, did you ever do any bow hunting or shooting? He was like, oh, everybody in Nigeria, you learn up, you grow up learning to shoot a bow. I mean, it's just one of those things. And he said, my dad was a great hunter. He said, we never lacked meat in our house. 
And he said, and one day when they were teaching us how to shoot a bow, he said to teach you how to shoot a moving target, what they would do is they would get somebody to pull a target on a rope and the guy would run in front of you and you would shoot at it, you know? And he said, I was in the back of the line waiting for my turn to shoot and I popped an arrow off and stuck it in the guy's calf, you know? I, mean, I just died. We started laughing so hard about that. And I, so, I mean, you know, we, we were talking about these things today, all this kind of stuff, but Solomon was even talking about the gospel, Cujo today was telling the gathering at 840, God found me. I didn't find God. God found me. His testimony was amazing about how he, he wanted nothing to do with God, and he got so sick, and God found him. It was the gospel. It was the best news he'd ever heard. And when you understand what it's like to be a person who's so thirsty, you're, you're just so deprived of truth in your life, the gospel is good news. And so you can imagine these gospel writers as they became known, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, believing that they had the greatest story in the world to tell. Well, Paul, the apostle, writes to a church. The book of Galatians is written to a church in Galatia. Jimmy Hagerman and I were talking about this not long ago, whether you believe in the old Galatian theory or the new Galatian, the north or the south. There's all these different kinds of things people believe about this book. When was it written? But what we know about it for sure is this. The apostle Paul came to know Christ and then he just disappears. He disappears for a while. And he says in the book of Galatians, I was gone for years. And what he was doing was God was refining his character. God was doing something in his life. And then he comes out and he goes on a ministry tear. And it's all about the gospel. Everything for him was about the gospel. And when you look at chapter 1, what he writes to this church is he says, you guys are having an issue and your issue is with the gospel. Now, I would contend that the American church is having an issue with the gospel as well. We'll talk about some of those. But the American church is struggling to understand the gospel. We've lost what it means to be gospel-centered and gospel-focused. And I think that's why so many of these organizations have, have kind of jumped up together for the gospel. Gospel Coalition saying this is really important that we get this right. Because if we don't get the gospel right, if you don't get the introduction to Christ right, you miss so many things downstream, don't you? And so Paul writes this, and I want you to see it in verse 6. He says, I'm amazed that you are quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a contrary gospel to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So this kind of idea starts to happen in this church. It kind of looked like this. In the early church, there was all these um, kind of, I guess what you, what you might call it is competing interest because you had Gentiles coming to faith in Christ and you had Jews coming to faith in Christ. And the Jews rightly believed that there was going to be some carryover of some things from Judaism, God didn't just abandon Judaism. The law came with it, right? I mean, we understand the Ten Commandments came with it. And he's going to later say in this book that the law was really important because it was a tutor. The law gets you to, to salvation. It actually pushes you there. When you understand how you fall short, it only comes from the law. But what started to happen is that some of these people who were Jewish in background were saying, you guys have to adopt all the Jewish customs and keep the law. Now, I was just reading not long ago in my devotional in Acts, 
And what happened in this Jerusalem council is that they basically said, look, we've got to figure out what comes over from Judaism and what, what we need to say to these Gentiles is really important. And what they determined was pretty simple. We really want you guys to stay away from sexual immorality. Reasonable, right? No big deal. This is important. We really want you guys to also stay away from meat that's sacrificed to idols. I mean, again, reasonable. In other words, don't mix your life with these things. But what was happening is some people were coming and saying, no, no, that's not all the gospel. If you're not keeping the law, you don't have it. Well, Peter was one of these. And Paul says in this book, it's an, it's an amazing thing. I don't know how you think about Peter, but I mean, I, he's one of the first apostles, right? He's the disciple that's always kind of sticking his foot in his mouth, but it's because he's always willing to do whatever he thinks is crazy enough to make Jesus understand that he is all in, right? Let me walk on the water with you, Jesus. And he jumps out and then we kind of like, you know, give him a hard time because he sank. Nobody else jumped out of that boat, right? Nobody else volunteered. The night that Jesus was saying, they're going to come take me, they're going to they're take my life. You know, where's Peter? He's standing there with the sword hacking people's ears off. He's all in. Even when he's not right, he's all in with Jesus. And Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face. He writes that here. I mean, it's an amazing thing. So when Paul writes this, he says some interesting things for us. He says, I can't believe that you're quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And what he means is you can't leave the true gospel and go add on to something else. And this is very, very important. We're going to see it in a minute. What is the real gospel? We'll get to that. But you can't take the gospel and manipulate it for yourself or your interest. You can't take the gospel and add things to it. You can't take the gospel and take things away from it. It doesn't work that way. And so what Paul is saying is, guys, the gospel that was handed to you, the gospel that saved you, you have to keep the authentic gospel in your life and understand it. And he says, there's people that are disturbing you who want to distort the gospel. And I want you to notice what he says, because this is profound for us. Verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he's to be a curse. It's a funny thing. Two of the world's major religions were founded out of a Judeo, at least Judeo mindset, or you could even say some, a Judeo-Christian mindset. And they were founded because the founders of those religions, Islam and Mormonism, believed that they had seen a vision from an angel that told them to do something. He's saying, be careful, test the spirits, he'll say later in the New Testament. What does that mean? What does it mean to test the spirits, right? When, when I, I, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating again. When I was a kid, it was all the time about these near-death experiences people were having. Do you remember watching like Unsolved Mysteries and all this kind of stuff? And, and what would happen is somebody would have this moment where they kind of died and there was always a light. It was never bad. Like nobody, did you ever notice nobody said like I died on the operating table and I met Satan face to face and I was burning in hell? No one said that. Did you notice that? What did they say? It was this light and it was warm and everything was going to be okay. And I just began to understand that my life was great. Nobody ever talked about Jesus. Test the spirits, right? What does that mean? It means that when you have something happen in your life, you have to go back to something that you know is a firm foundation. So you go back to scripture. You believe you have an angelic vision, not denying that that could happen. But you better go back to the scripture, and it better make sense in the context of the entire scripture. 
You know, a lot of, a lot of times we, we as a church have also been guilty of grabbing a scripture, pulling it completely out of context, and just running down the road with it. Well, you can't do that. So what he's saying is, even if an angel comes to you and tells you there's a different gospel, a different way for you to be saved, something else you need to be doing, don't fall for it. If we do it, now, now think about what he's saying. He's saying, if I lose my mind and come back to you guys and say there's a different way for you to be saved, if, if I totally change what's going on, I'm to be accursed. Me. I, count me cursed. There is one gospel as we have received it. Don't let anybody fool you with this. Take a left turn in your Bibles and go back to 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul's going to outline for us exactly what the gospel is. And this is why this is going to be important for us as a church tonight. When you really understand what the gospel is, it makes it really easy to spot a phony. Well, that's important for a number of reasons. One is so that you don't allow things into your family, into your life group, into the teaching that you do that's contrary to the gospel. That's really important. But secondly, it's really important because there are tons of people in our city walking around who think they understand the gospel, but they've fallen for a gospel that doesn't exist. And we have an opportunity as believers to say, wait, let's go back to the gospel, and I want to share how Christ has loved you and how he continues to love you, but I want to show you the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's going to walk us right through the gospel. Verse 1, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word I preached, unless you believe them in vain. That's a fascinating thing that he says, because he says the gospel is actually something that saves you, and then the gospel is actually something that pours concrete around your life and lets you stand. It's the gospel of Christ that allows you to do that. When you're saved, and I want to just say this to us because sometimes I think we forget this a little bit, salvation is in an instant and then for the rest of your life, right? It's, it's, it is an, it's in an instant that you're saved, but then you are being saved every day for the rest of your life until the moment where we're saved in eternity and glorification. God's doing the work of the gospel in our lives. It's not like it's just one and done and you can just write that off. Well, good, I'm saved now. Don't have to worry about that anymore. No, the gospel is saving us every day, constantly. Christ is refining us. He's saving us from our sin, right? I mean, so it's all at once. Yes, you give your life to Christ, you are saved but then that process of being saved keeps going if you hold fast to that word which I preached, he says. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, that's important. Who made up the gospel? It wasn't made up, right, by men. That, that's really important. It wasn't that, that some guys got together and said, well, the gospel ought to be this. They saw the gospel with their eyes. They beheld him. They touched him. I, I love that John talks about like that. These things that we handled, right? He's saying that Jesus wasn't some kind of figment of our imagination. And by the way, history proves that out. We know that he was a real person. We know that he walked this earth. And what they're saying is we received something. And this is what he received, that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, this is really important what he's saying. He's not only going to tell us exactly what the gospel is, but then he's going to say about this gospel, don't just trust me. There are 500 people plus all the apostles, and some of them are still alive. Go find them. If you don't think Jesus was raised from the dead, here's the proof. Go find these people. He appeared personally to more than 500 people. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can find it amongst them. So I want to go back to this because here's the gospel in a nutshell. Received from the Lord, and in verse 3 he says it starts with something that so many people are leaving out today. That Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures. There is no gospel that doesn't start there. You have not given anyone the gospel if you've not started with sin, if you've not started with a need for a savior. Now this becomes really important because we're now living in a day, and this is why church history is so important for us, we're living in a day that's cycling through again, and, and, and it's this idea that I'm set free from the law, and I'm set free from sin, and because I'm covered in grace, I don't have to change. I can do whatever I want. Wrong. What does it mean when he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture? Well, there's some big words that float around every Easter that we have to think about, uh, and we're going to be talking about resurrection uh, probably from this passage on Easter Sunday, talking about what does it mean that we have a resurrected body? What does it mean that we have a resurrection in Christ? But as we start talking about those things, resurrection is obviously a big word, but there's some other words that come around Easter. Propitiation. You want to sound smart at work tomorrow? Sit around the water cooler and say, what would you guys do Sunday night? I learned about propitiation. That's a $5 word, you know? What does that mean? It means that the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's, that's a term that we often don't think about because today we, we believe that the wrath of God and the love of God are divorced from one another. That's not true. They are the, they are the same issue on two sides of the same coin. You, you don't separate them out. The love of God is not separated from the wrath of God and the wrath of God not separated from the love of God. The propitiation that took place on the cross meant that the wrath of God was satisfied. We sing it sometimes. What's that song? Yeah, that's it. How deep the Father's love. Good job on the fly right there. Uh, we sing it. The wrath of God was satisfied. We sing that out. Why, why do we sing that? And some people don't like that. We sing that the Father turned his face away, and people don't like that. They say, no, no, no. God never turned his back on Jesus. He most certainly did. God would not look at what was unholy. Why does Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus in that moment. Can you imagine the enormity of that moment? Can you imagine the weight of that? That killed him. It wasn't the cross, right? He gave up his spirit long before they came to break his legs, right? In fact, that's why we know the water and blood flowed mingled down like we sing. Why? Because they stuck a spear in his side. The wrath of God was satisfied in that moment. Christ had to die for our sins. So sins are not something, or sin as we want to call it, if we're talking about it in generalities, it's not something that you can just kind of merely brush away. So this idea that you can come to Christ 
and it doesn't matter if you change it all. You can just keep your sin with you and just kind of add Jesus into it. It doesn't work. That violates this principle of what he's saying, that Christ died for our sins. I heard a preacher tell this story one time about some of uh, the early Vikings that were really uh, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talked about how there was this thing when they were being baptized, one of the things that they were doing is they were coming into the baptistry and they were holding their sword up like this so they got baptized and held their sword out. What did that mean? We're just going to keep killing people. The sword wasn't baptized. The rest of me was. Well, that doesn't work. That's a great illustration, isn't it? This idea that you come to Christ and say, I want to have heaven and everything that goes with it, but I have a few things. I'm going to hold them out of the water. I'm not going to be saved from those things. I, I hold those back. I keep those. It doesn't work. And so when you see people today saying, you just come as you are and don't worry about changing, that's a false gospel and it's dangerous. Because the gospel is transformational in our lives. It doesn't leave us the same. Because the, the cost of the gospel was so high. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And this idea that he was buried. Now, why would you bury someone? Because they're dead. Very, very important that we understand that. Paul's later going to come back to this in the book of Romans, isn't he? In that famous verse that we quote when we go through the Romans road with people. And he says, you know, uh, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's hang out here for a minute. Can you be saved and not believe in the miracle of the resurrection no you cannot be you cannot be was Jesus in soul sleep some people say that he was not really dead he was just like taking a nap I, I kind of imagine that and I don't mean to be I don't mean to be like goofy about it but I think some people think that Jesus had like a stash of food in the grave and like some playing cards to play solitaire or something to pass the time no internet connection you know and that he just hung out for three days and then all of a sudden, by his own power, took off his grave clothes and, and walked back out. You cannot be saved if you do not believe in the resurrection. He was dead. What does that mean, dead? That, that's why they pierced his side, because they wanted to be sure that he was dead. They were afraid that he might be kind of just in a passed out state. But when you pierce someone's side and, and all the blood and water comes flowing out of their body, you understand they're dead. They're gone. He was dead it always fascinates me that at his death there were two people who had thus far not really been in the forefront of his ministry John's the only one that we think was at the crucifixion from the scriptural accounts but even John doesn't ask for his body it's a man named Joseph of Arimathea and Joseph of Arimathea goes and seeks his body from Pilate. And you remember Pilate says, is he dead already? Like, I mean, has this already happened? But the Jews wanted them dead because they didn't want him hanging on a cross. I mean, this is so great, right? We're going to kill the Son of God, but we're going to keep the law. Because we don't want him hanging on a cross after sunset. So we've got to get that right. Technicality is really important. Joseph of Arimathea. But there was another man. Do you remember who it was? It was Nicodemus. Nicodemus had come to the Lord sometime earlier, and, and I don't know the time frame of that. You know, it's, in, it's recorded in the gospel, early in the gospel, that he comes. And he comes and he says, what does a man have to do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what is this about? You remember Jesus said, you have to be born of water and of spirit, right? And born again. And you remember him asking that? He's like, well, what does that mean? 
How can you be born again? What, what does that mean? He didn't get it. And we don't have any indication from that moment that he left saved. But what we do see is that there was this long process. And at Jesus' death, he's the one that's there. And the scripture says about him, as I recall, that in that moment, he asked to be a part of that burial too. But he didn't want everybody to know that he was a believer because he was afraid of the ridicule that he'd take. He was in process for a time. Now, this is an aside. And if you want to say, like, this is for free as we talk about these things. How long can somebody be in process that you're witnessing to? Long time. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on your neighbor. Don't give up on your family member. Don't give up on the person at work that you think is just paying no attention to anything that you're saying. Don't give up to that because it was a long process for them. And here he is the one. The disciples aren't there asking for the body. It's this guy that had come to Jesus in the night and asked some questions and then kind of shirked his uh, way back and, and hid and, and was kind of hiding out. And now all of a sudden he comes back. It, it's really important. Jesus was dead, placed in the ground. Tomb rolls over. With the, I mean, sorry, sorry, stone rolls over the tomb. Tomb rolled over would be interesting in and of itself. But then he says this. And then on the third day, according to the scriptures, he appeared. To Cephas, to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren. Now, when you think about that, this idea of resurrection, what does the resurrection mean? The resurrection has some implications for us that we often talk about, and we used to talk about them more often uh, in times gone by, I think because we had a firmer grasp that we were all going to heaven. Most of us are living in denial that that's coming. Even in the church, we're living in a little bit of denial that death is, is imminent in our lives. It's just around the corner. But when we weren't so certain of living to 80 and feeling like that was the average age that we were going to get to, we talked a little bit more about heaven and we talked about the resurrection and what it meant for us. We, we used to talk about how the resurrection meant that the, the grave had no more sting in our lives. It was, it was going to be taken away by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Not that we would not die. We will face death. But that the grave was not the end. And it was not the victor. Because we were going to live resurrected. You know, you're going to have a resurrected body. I don't know if you can pray ahead for that. But, I mean, some of us might want to think about that a little bit. You know, like I'd like to get rid of the trick knee. You know, in the resurrected body, Lord. I'd... I, I think I'd like my pinky to straighten out again one day. I don't know. I don't, just little things, you know, uh, in the resurrected body. It's going to be different, isn't it? You're going to have that. You're going to live eternally. But you don't get to the resurrection if you don't start at sin, payment for sin, Death, you see where we're going with this. This is really important in the day that we're living in because if we as a church lose sight of what the gospel is, we can start chasing things like numbers. We just want as many people as we can, so let's dumb this down a little bit. How could we dumb it down? Well, we could just start by saying like, look, if you just come to Jesus, he'll, he'll sort all the rest of it out. Don't worry about it. Just, just come on. Give your life to Christ. What do I have to change? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. Well, that's not the gospel. That's a lie to people. Lordship implies ownership, doesn't it? I think when we think about lordship, 
It's not like Jesus is suggesting these things to us. The scriptural commandments are not mere suggestions to us. They're commands that we're to follow. So when we talk to people and we talk about the the payment for the wrath of God being on Jesus Christ, we have to frame it in such a way that people understand not that they're just miserable sinners. We all started there, but that there's hope. The hope is in Jesus Christ. The hope is that there is one who came, who emptied himself, as Philippians 2 said, of all of his pride, and that he came to live a sinless life so that he could die in your place, so that he could offer you something you could never get. But there's a cost. It's your very life. It's your very life. I was thinking about how so many times I've talked with people about that, and one of the things that they struggle with is this idea of losing control of their life to give it to the Lord. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because the idea of control in your life is really just a figment of your imagination. I think that's one of the things that Satan uses to trick us. More than anything. I'm, you, you can't be a, a Christ follower. You, you've got your whole life to live. You, you, need to, you need to be able to be in charge of your own life, of your own destiny. But there are so many things outside of our control that change our lives and our destinies in an instant, don't they? And all you have to do is live for a little while to watch that happen. The amazing thing is, though, so many people go hardened into that, and they won't come out of it to understand that the gospel requires not only that you lose your life, but what did Jesus say? You then find it. Purpose. And meaning. The gospel takes all of that and it wraps it up and presents it to people, but it's got to be the full gospel. As a church tonight, I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to be thankful for the gospel. I want you to be excited about the gospel. And I want you to believe a few things with me tonight. And here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do a little exercise that kind of says a statement, and it ends with you saying amen. Okay? So I'll say a statement, and you're going, you don't have to. If you don't believe it, by all means, don't say it. wouldn't want you to lie in church. Here we go. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and then to five hundred more. And the gospel is our hope. It's for our salvation. And the gospel is effective today. Sometimes we don't believe that one. We get all of those other ones right to that point. And then we talk about how hard it is to witness to people. How people don't want to hear. I don't know what you heard this morning, but it doesn't sound like Solomon's having any trouble getting people to hear the gospel. They planted 6,645 churches in the last like six years, seven years. Is the gospel ineffective? Or have we made the gospel ineffective because we don't believe the gospel? Therefore, we don't live it out. Therefore, we don't share it. And we're always trying to accommodate 
to our own culture, our own people. The gospel. The gospel's unbending. It goes across cultures, across time periods, and we don't get to set it. And I echo with Paul tonight. If you ever hear an angel or a pastor or me tell you any other gospel but this will save you, let us be counted accursed. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have delivered the gospel to us and it's this treasure to us who believe. And it's been passed down to us through the years, preserved. And that's been by a miracle, Lord. And Father, we pray tonight that we would see the gospel's power change people in our city. Father, I confess in my own frailty of just wanting to make accommodations. And yet we know tonight, Lord, that we're not presenting the gospel when we do that. Father, if we have failed to believe in the effectiveness and the power of the gospel, forgive us. And would you let that repentance renew our prayer life for our lost friends, our family members, our co-workers. That they would see the power of the gospel displayed in our lives. That it would not only have saved us, but help us stand firm in this generation. Lord, you've called us to it. And we wouldn't want to live in any other time period. We're thankful we're living right now, right here in this place. We believe that's on purpose. And we are your instruments to carry this good news. Lord, give us favor to do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray.